Patrick. Welcome to the Pat Life Podcast. As always, I'm Patrick, and we're back starting a new month. We're going heavy on this new month, man. We got a lot coming in, a lot of great guests. And uh, I thought, what better way to start this month than the one and only Woodshop Bear? What's up, bud? What's up, brother? How you doing? Good, dude. Thank you for starting your day early to get up on uh, on the show and and just sharing what you've been, you know, the revel not the, what's the revelations that you've been having, and just these uh, beautiful sinks that have been happening in your life, uh, your journey. You've been having some stuff in your your personal life that you've been working on, in uh, just trying to grow from, learn from, and ultimately share that information that you've been gaining through this process. So um, you're on, and we're gonna talk about it, dude. So I'm gonna let you kind of take the mic on this and share with us what's going on. Yeah. Um, first, thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure and a joy to unpack some of these these thoughts that I just have rustling in my head all day with somebody who's on the same wavelength as me. So I get excited every time I get to do this. Um, but yeah, um, for those that don't know, I months ago, after many years of running my wood shop, my neck finally just gave out. And um, I ended up just crowdfunding for some new treatment and have been getting that treatment and uh, it's been brilliant. I've, I've seen so many improvements in so many areas and, you know, I had about of about four weeks where I was unable to walk on my own, but, you know, every time that you have any uh, real fast healing, you know, for a long-term problem, you're bound to have some sort of a response like that as your body tries to compensate and learn how to walk again. So um, it was a rough month about two months ago, but I'm back up and I'm walking and I'm having all these downloads and I'm just really excited to hash some of them out with you. Um, yeah, man. Well, you know, this, I, this, I yeah, recently, sorry. yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, yeah, do you, oh, you want to just yeah, dive in? There's a little, little bit of lag, so we're going to just dive right in and, uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah, so I've been thinking a lot recently, um, and for those of you who watch Owen Benjamin, um, I wrote him a letter recently just about adrenaline addiction um, and just just how deep that rabbit hole goes in itself because that's fascinating to me and it's been putting a lot of pieces together and it's something that I had to look at in my own life Um years ago um, after I was received treatment for a car accident and just a lot of issues that happened with that so um, yeah I don't know where you want to start with the adrenaline stuff or if you want to even talk about it or yeah so well, let, let, let me let me help you let me get it going so you were talking about you, you had sent a letter to Owen but you've been going down this rabbit hole of adrenaline in this addiction to adrenaline and being that uh, we are an addiction podcast, not just kidding, uh, but talking about adrenaline is one of the things that plays into the the bigger purpose of the body. It has a role. It has a place when you understand how adrenaline does work, cortisol, um, fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system. It has its place. And I've talked about this in other podcasts, um, but when there's an abundance of it, it becomes in many ways, understanding what the ramifications are, what are the 
the, the functionality of adrenaline, you start to see that it becomes an addiction for some people. And I would even venture to say majority of people in our society today have an addiction to adrenaline. There's an addiction to, uh, and I would even put fear somewhere within that category. I wouldn't call fear adrenaline or anxiety adrenaline, but it plays into that. It's like a subcategory. It plays somewhere in there. Um, and I would just, yeah. So to kind of tee you off, you said you've been kind of having these revelations with understanding adrenaline and it, it's the addictive uh, traits that one might have with it. So do you want to maybe clarify what kind of you came about with um, talking about adrenaline or learning about adrenaline? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I will put a just a quick caveat in there for everybody listening. When I talk about adrenaline addiction, I don't even necessarily mean a conscious addiction. Um, it, much different than your drug addict or your alcoholic or somebody who's making a conscious choice to take a drink or you know to ingest drugs of any form. Um, I don't mean like that. What I mean by adrenaline addiction is, you know, it, it as always, everything starts in the home um, and everything starts as a child and everything is born from childhood trauma. So we get into these patterns of um, putting walls up in an attempt to um, defend ourselves from what we view as trauma as children. And, uh, you know, those defense mechanisms, long story short, over many years of not having your basic emotional needs met as a child and feeling unsafe in your own home, you learn to find comfort in that chaos. And then later on in life as an adult, it's, it's, uh, it's a chasing of that same dragon, but in adult form, right? So instead of having your parents maybe yell at you or fighting or you know, uh, even just observing chaos in the home. If you have parents that fight amongst themselves, then you're going to find comfort in the fight because those are your parents and that's your home. So later on in life, you're going to look for activities or behaviors which elicit that same sense of chaos inside of you. But at that core is just the adrenaline addiction. You know, it's that rush that you've had your entire childhood that you're now seeking again. Um, and that can manifest in many ways. And I think it's, it's the interesting thing to look at here is the reaction to adrenaline addiction from the public. That's something that I didn't touch on in my letter to Owen. Uh, but it's very interesting because if you have extreme athletes that are obviously addicted to adrenaline, right? Um, they're viewed as normal. Otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. they're just, we put them on a pedestal. Whoa, these people are great. They're out here doing these amazing things, you know. Oh, they're adrenaline junkies and it's got a positive connotation to it. But then everybody else, um, society doesn't even consider adrenaline addiction being a reason why they're making decisions they're making. And they're just labeled as crazy or narcissistic or, you know, just self-absorbed or whatever it may be, but they're chasing that same rush that the extreme athlete is chasing. So I think that's something interesting to look at, um, especially when you start to consciously like dissect, not, not, not in a crazy way, but like dissect people's behavior in your own life mm -hmm. and take a look and see, you know, 
does it make sense logically what they're doing? Is there any rationale behind it whatsoever? And if those two are no, then it's probably being driven by fear. And that fear is, uh, there's, it's, it's so deep, it's so hard to explain. That fear is not coming from the adult that you're looking at. That fear is coming from the inner child that's, you know, our, our inner child, as we call it, is just who we are. I don't even right. honestly like the term inner child because I think it kind of takes away from the fact that that's still who we are. It kind of disassociates us and makes it seem like that's a different person in the past, but that's still exactly who we are. So right. when you're seeing people make these these decisions, poor decisions in their life or you know, creating chaos so that they can feel comfortable in that chaos, that's that's still that child. That's still them. It's not this uh, this fake performance that we're putting on as adults to try to act like we have it together. Right. Yeah, dude. No, I, I'm with you 100% on that. And I think that's, uh, you know, if we just follow logic here, you look at, as you just said, like when you're looking at an adult, you're not just looking at the adult. You're looking at the whole of the adult. And, you know, that's going from moment, uh, you know, uh, you know, being, you know, conceived all the way up into the moment, the now in which you see them, right? And what's fascinating, right, is that all of us are bored. We go through this process, you know, we learn and it's going, well, you're taking a child who is being shaped, let's just say, and then they become the adult who they are in many ways. People can talk. It's more than that. But the point I'm getting at is going, well, there's a reason we're supposed to be shaped and then going into adulthood. There's a reason in this realm why we're kind of clean slate or we have this amnesia and maybe another life and come into this one. But then you get people who have memories of something where they are like, hey, I feel like I've been here before. I feel like I lived during that time. Like, and you know, I can't say with certainty on any of that. But my point is, is that it's that shaping process that is taking place. We can't, you know, no question about it. You have children, I have a son. We should, you know, you're shaping them to understand the, this realm. You're, you, we as parents are the ones, the adults shaping their life. And as you just said, like if the shaping becomes, yes, there's chaos in this world, but it's like, if you're feeding into that chaos, you're continually feeding that into, you know, other generations. And it gets to a point where it's like, when you can just see that, hey, you have a direct as a parent impact on that. And these kids are now, it's like, as you said, take a self look within self. It's like, am I addicted to the adrenaline? Like you said, looking at your society, am I in that same category? And many of us, I would say majority of us are. And it's going, okay, I recognized it. I see it. I'm experiencing it. I know what I'm doing it. And if you can start just doing that, I mean, I think that's a step in the right direction. And this is why kind of, to your point, but maybe a little sidestep. It's like, this is why I think relationships are so beautiful. And when people say like, oh, I want it to be perfect. It's like, you have to understand that some of the perfect is going, if you really want to make the best of a relationship is going, you have to go through the fire with somebody. Like, why is it that when you meet somebody the first couple months or years or whatever, it's this perfect, like, oh, we, we were connected. Like it's the, this not platonic, but it's this love that is like movie magic, right? And then people are like, and then it, it, things dissipated, right? Life started happening. It's going like, 
that's like see that's the beauty of it man when you can know like this isn't this first part as much as you love someone it's not real it's not just this you in order to get back to that you have to go through the fire again because it's going all right we didn't really know each other here we didn't know each other's fears anxieties we didn't truly know them because most people put up a big wall in the beginning of relationships and then it's like you got to go through that that stuff together and then ultimately realizing it's like yeah, we came out of this together because all of that trauma we had, we had to use each other's traumas to help each other through it, you know, figuring our things out. Yeah. And obviously certain situations are different, right? Like you're dealing with people who are physically abusive, things like that. But it's going like, to your point, even though they're the same person, it's like, we are still children trying to figure this out. And you had a really good post about it, like a picture where it was like two frames of adults facing away and like the kids you know, the light of the kids inside each other and realizing, yes, it's all still the same individual. It's the same self, um, but just through different stages of this existence. Yeah, 100%. No. Um, And so what you said about, you know, the, the beginning of a relationship, why is that so exciting? That's something that I've always wondered as well. Um, And could it be that there's a little bit of adrenaline bumping through your veins when you're meeting this new person and you're 100. you're trying to impress them and you're trying to be you know yeah. you have that those first intimate moments with them and you're learning each other and who each other are and you're learning each other's bodies and there's so much emotion wrapped up in it that's a rush dude that's it that's just- literally feels like a rush for a couple months and then once it wears off and you go and maybe I don't like this person so much, or maybe I really do like this person so much, but why doesn't it feel the same? Because the rush wore off, you know? And then once the rush wears off, you're really able to tell if you want to be with that person or if you're just addicted to adrenaline and chaos, you know? Because chaos comes in many forms. Chaos is not necessarily negative things happening to you. You know, the... The Powerball is over a billion dollars right now, right? And we like to dream that, oh, it would be great to have that much money. I would never want that much money, man. I would never want to win that Powerball. I can't even fathom the amount of chaos that would come into my life. Seems like a blessing. Oh, I have more money than I can do with for the rest of my life. Do you know how much inner turmoil would come from that? Being like, now I have to help every single person who do i give money to how much who do i tell that i won do i buy this part you know chaos can come in many forms it's not just always negative so i think in those um beginning of relationships that could be seen as kind of a form of chaos because it takes you out of your day-to-day cycle your daily life your routine and now you've injected this new variable into your life and uh you know a new person is that's a big variable man that's yeah. a, that's life changing. So, right. Well, it's 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 also uh, you know certain words have negative connotations, and the way we view words, you know what I mean. And I think in many ways, like you said, when you look at chaos, most people see just this negative side. And, and when you kind of look at chaos, and, and I don't have the definition off the top of my head, but you're just like you said, you're looking at a disruption in like a, a like a normal normal system of of life right like things are changing you know you put a you know you put you put an animal in 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 the water that maybe doesn't swim like 
easily like it's created a chaos. Like, is it completely bad? No, you're just disrupting it. And if you have, you know, when you actually take a step back and understand that majority of people whose lives are cookie cutter and don't have any chaos or don't have any struggle or obstacles, and those are people who are usually without purpose or they feel they don't have purpose or they don't strive to look for purpose in their life. They are just going through the day-to-day motions. They're just going through. And could it be that a lot of people, because of these traumas as kids, not saying that we need to all have severe trauma uh, or go through crazy chaos as kids, but it's like a lot of people who have that then don't want to have any chaos. They don't want relationships. They don't, they just want to go to work, come home and that's it. And then they're going, I don't know why I'm so depressed. I don't know why I'm so miserable. But then you also, like you said, you have the other side where people who maybe do have the chaos or whatever. And they need that, as you said, that seeking that rush, they need some sort of rush all the time. And that, you know, and it, it is interesting to see that. So it's finding that, that center point, that midpoint of, you know, once again, the mercury, the balance, the, the Jesus, the Jesus, the figure of going, Hey, find that ability of centering self, you know, the straight and narrow path. And it's, you know, not even trying to make it like, you know, godly, but it ultimately is, but it's going like, how do you find that sweet spot in your life with all of the chaos, with all the noise, with all of disruption, um, to find peace, to find gratitude, to find love. So I think that's, what's beautiful about this journey, man. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, actually, um, what you said about people not growing up in chaos. Um, I was having this discussion with another, another bear after my letter. Um, and growing up without any chaos can lead to the same exact adrenaline addiction. So let that be known. Um, if you are helicopter parenting your child and spoiling them and giving them everything that they want, to the point where they have no challenges in life, your child will grow up and seek that same chaos because they want something real. You know, if you're not giving them any real, any, any real challenges to overcome in their own life, um, and you're not allowing them to have that human experience of getting a little bit of adrenaline. Look, I'm not saying that adrenaline is bad. Adrenaline serves its purpose, right? we would be dead without adrenaline. There's a reason that it is produced. There's a reason that it's released. Um, and there's a reason that it's like the most potent, insane chemical in our body when it is released into our veins. Um, but if you don't allow your child to have some of those experiences, they're never going to know what it is. They're never going to... So they're going to end up seeking it later on in life. They're going to end up seeking that same, that same rush basically. So it is about finding that balance between, you know, don't let your child grow up in a home where there's just constantly chaos and dysfunction and screaming and anger, because then that's going to become their comfort. But if you also don't allow them to experience a little bit of that naturally in their life, they're going to grow up seeking that same exact comfort because there's nothing comfortable in everything always going right. Like we're humans, we are flawed, and we like overcoming problems. That's what gives us a sense of purpose is to overcome a problem. So if you remove all the problems that, like I said, the billion dollar lottery would just create so much chaos in my life because 
it would take away my sense of purpose. You know, like I have children, I need to work for my children. I need to find a way to provide for them. If that's taken care of, it seems like a blessing. That's a curse in my eyes. Now, now what do I do? You know, like where's my purpose in life? So, right. Well, it, it's, it's also a matter of, you know, talking about the million or the billion dollar, you know, lottery. You can be like, oh, you know, people are like, well, you can make that money and then you can do investments and then you can start businesses. But really just understand, and I'm with you and I, and I hear what you're saying. I also think a lot of times it's just every decision made will create some sort of obstacle, some sort of chaos. It's just not a perceived chaos. Like one of the biggest chaoses for people is finances, right? It's like, as you said, finding purpose. Like I need to work in order to provide for family, provide for myself. And everyone's, a lot of people are saying, if I just had X amount of money, these problems, this, this specific chaos would go away. And reality is it's just going to lead to other forms of chaos because that's the thing that, to your point about, there's always, you know, having adrenaline is always going to be good. But where you don't have it, I mean, well not, let me take that back. Where people have this false perception being that most people's chaos and is finances. Like if you think about going back to childhood, a lot of people, it was always money was tight. Parents were always fighting about money. Parents were always fighting about you know, having more, having this, having that. So it's it's become such a marker in our society of is money, is is these fiat, this fiat currency. So it's like, you look at like, for example, the movie uh, Idiocracy, I posted a clip about it. It's like talking about the water and stuff, but you just show like, yeah, these people in this futuristic mindset, which isn't far-fetched in many ways for some people now, it's like, they're so dependent on a system, a corporation for their entire life's quote unquote well-being where they literally don't have to leave their chair. They can just sit there. You know, they could be like out of shape, drinking big Slurpees and Brano and things like that, Brondo. And it's like, that's their life. But if you look at it, watching like this movie, like you take a step back and it's like, just looks, you know, futuristic, like, apocalyptic like nothing's taken care of there's no there's no worth in the taking care of self and then the surroundings because you're taking care of so like it's that chaos that starts to ensue like to to piggyback that real quick like people who say like hey i don't want to go to work out or i don't want to move because I don't want to have to go through that journey. I go, I'll tell people like, hey, that same journey that you're afraid of is you're experiencing it now with not wanting to move and not wanting to do certain things. You're going to put yourself closer to and the mindset you have, high blood pressure, hypertension, all these things. So now you're, yeah, you don't want to go through that physical stress or that physical chaos, but now you're going to experience it in another way. It's just which one do you choose or which path do you choose? And that's the thing with adrenaline is it's like now you're gonna go down this adrenaline path of most people. It's like, it becomes like a food addiction. It becomes, you know, it becomes a porn addiction. It becomes some sort of addiction. That adrenaline is taking them in one way where one might be going the other way. But to my point about these paths, you know, again, the straight and narrow is actually in reality, when you have these paths going so far apart, you're actually getting to some sort of same outcome. Like you said, where, it, you know, hey, no, no struggle will not be good for you either. Like it's going to ultimately lead you to the same point. Back to what I'm saying, there is the straight and narrow. So when you look at like biblical, biblical text, like 
there's a lot of truth to that. Like I know people who work out so hard that they find themselves hypertensive. They find themselves in injury and pain all the time, needing surgeries all the time. People who don't do anything having surgeries all the time. <laughs> like so you so you see exactly that. It's knowing that you are made perfect. How do you then know as you said, how do you know how to utilize all these pieces of self? So it's being an observer, in my opinion. I know I ranted, but you got me no. my head spinning now, like in like thoughts. No, I I love it. And that's exactly to the point that I was saying is you have to find that balance because you know, you're talking about people working themselves up and then having the high blood pressure and hypertension and being in that same exact state that they would have been in had they have just gone and worked out for a little bit. Like so oftentimes like we'll get to the same exact point. And that's something that people need to realize. The only difference I think with adrenaline addiction and the reason why it's become so prevalent is because there's a perceived sense of control in it. And that kind of talks to what I was saying in my letter that, you know, the adrenaline addicted narcissist will create problems out of thin air so that they can, and it's, it's not even just about feeling that rush from the adrenaline that kicks in once the argument really gets ramped up, right? That's an element of it, but it's also saying, I created this argument, so I'm already 10 steps ahead because I've now blindsided my partner with all of this nonsense and this chaos. Now my partner, partner's trying to scramble and catch up and figure out what the hell's even going on so that he or she can get in the game with me, but I've already done all the groundwork and I'm ready to roll. And that gives you a perceived sense of control, but is it worth it? You know, and that's what I think people find in the long run. I think honestly, that's, I think that might be an element of what we say is, you know, like a midlife crisis. I think a lot of, I think there's a weird element to like the classical midlife crisis where people are like, oh, you realize you haven't done anything with your life. So you go buy a Corvette. I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's trying to hold on to this, this freak, like obsession with having control. And then you hit a point where you realize it isn't working. And then you look at your life and go, I just wasted 40, 50, 60 years trying to control every single aspect of my life, trying to control other people, trying to control, you know, my finances, my resources, everything to the point of constantly trying to bitch about the weather. It's just, you're always in your head trying to control things to get that rush. And then you hit a point where you go, this isn't worth it. This isn't who I am. Where obviously where most people go wrong is they go out and blow all their money on a Corvette instead of going inwards and saying, I can easily make these changes. I can easily make these changes, you know? Don't you don't need to buy a Corvette, buy a Bible and start reading it and find some peace right. in your life and center yourself. Absolutely, dude. That's you, you, you put it, you nailed it on the head, man, because it, it makes me think of things in my own, my own life. Like, you know, when we in the, when me and the lady get into our arguments, something that I've noticed that I do is like just from growing up and what I've seen is like. I get in, in not like not close. Like if we're arguing, usually I'm kind of standing farther away. But I get so from what I've learned is like I get not like fighting position, but like I'm ready to to 
to go. Like it's like in my hands, I get very, as you can see, I'm very, uh, very animated with how my hands are and that's just who I am. So it, it gets this energy and it's in my face and it's like, I'm trying to hold it back, but it's like one of those things that I can, I get jacked up. I'm like, all right, let we're going. Like we're in a conversation, you know, we're heated now. And I just, what I saw growing up in my family and that's how things were done. And it was also realizing when we were done, we were done. It, you know, but understanding that's not how everybody is. When, when my, my fiance talks about it, she's like, that's scary. Or like, I'm like, look, step back. I can see how that, that is scary. That is something that I need to work on to be better at it. But it's not just work on, but it's going, where is that coming from? Where is that, as you said, going inward? So as you're like saying, talking about purpose, it's like, can I get into these conversations and these these hard, these obstacles that need to be faced, not coming from pure emotion, but true feeling, like a genuine feeling of understanding who, who I am, what it, like knowing who I am, my intentions, all my, where I'm coming from. Because if you can start doing that, as you said, like in my opinion, this idea of a midlife crisis isn't necessarily coming because there's not an adrenaline rush. There's not an addiction to the adrenaline. So like for me, and I can only speak for myself, it's like, look at those things, hear what people in your life, your loved ones are saying, be willing to accept that maybe you don't like what you're hearing, but it's true. And then it's like, all right, well, how do I start to make those changes? And as you said, because that's it is an addiction, man, because I see it all the time. And for again, for me, it's like, all right, dude, do I need to be right in this moment? Do I feel like I'm protecting myself? Do I feel like I have to put up a wall to defend, you know? And if I'm feeling all these things, is it necessary for the situation? You know what I mean? And like, for example, if you have like a loved one who's like, uh, you know, you know, which job you're cheating. You know what I mean? It's like, you're cheating. It's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. What are you, what are you talking about? And it's like, some people might be like, you keep thinking that, you know, whatever the case is. And it's like, you can maybe like, wait, hold on. Do I know the truth of the matter? Yeah. I know I'm not right. Like you could be like, oh, no, I'm not. Or like you're, you're an alcoholic. No, I'm not. If you know the truth, it's like, this is a you thing. And being able to step back and be like, I'm not even mad. I, I, you can say a million things. It's not me. And instead of getting, you know what I mean? Some people might get defensive. It's like, there's no point. If it's something you're like, I, I know that's not the truth. That you can keep yelling, you can keep trying to, as you said, control the situation, throw 18,000 things that are already in your head to set up for this beast that you've kind of brought to the table, this chaos. It's like, whatever. Like, it's like not whatever, but it's like, you realize that none of that's true. You can keep being mad, but there's, it's not, you know what I mean? It's like, now you're trying to work me up. Like you said, you're trying to get me into that and there's no need to. And so then it's going, you can get mad five ways to Friday, but it's all at the end of the day, it's going like, I understand that that's going on in your head, not mine. And and for that, you're going on that adrenaline rush. I'm going to be like an animal after they think a threat's here. I'm going to just shake it off. And that's the thing that people cannot do. And this is what you said earlier about even just people like instead of going and buying a Corvette or trying to do something else to get the, the rush, go to the gym. I know people being that adrenal fatigue is such a real thing that I wouldn't even say going to the gym is the right thing, man. I would tell people being like, well, 
I would use the gym personally to help specifically get them out of that space. But it's like, just go out in nature and go for a walk. Just literally go for a walk. Don't, don't, don't make it a, a, a specific, like I need to go for a walk six miles. Like just walk and just look around. Just don't put your phone on, go look around. I'm not asking you to sit and breathe. You can keep moving. Just go in nature and go for a walk because, and in, in, in you know this, I think you do, but it's like, when you go to nature, there's never a lie. It's always telling you everything you need to know. Prime example, when you're out in the morning, if you're near anywhere where there's a lot of birds and things like that, and it's not like a big city, just listen. And what I mean by that is, is when you hear birds chirping, animals making all their noises in the morning, specifically in the morning, that is telling the body at a subconscious level or conscious that there is no immediate threat. Animals don't sing and do all this stuff if they're under stress. Notice how in movies or anywhere, if it's very quiet in nature, usually there's something nearby. There is a threat. There's an outside threat. And if you hunt or anything like that, people know better than me. You know what's going on. When you hear birds chirping, that is, that is telling the body you can be in this parasympathetic state, not this adrenaline rush in a calm state. But you need to be in nature. You need to be listening in order to understand that. If you're out in nature or walking and you look at your phone and you're looking at the chaos on your phone, you'll your body will ignore it. It'll shut it out. It won't know that there's birds chirping. So that's why I'm literally saying go in nature and just walk and listen. Look around. If you see birds flying everywhere, you hear them. Guess what, dude? Your body will naturally go into a calmer state if you're focusing on that. Dude. I love that so much. And it's true. That's, I mean, I found myself when I was dealing with this issue years ago, the only thing that snapped me out of it, even momentarily, was finding a way to be present. Because, you know, when you're in that state, it's this weird duality of, you know, most people say I'm depressed and I'm also anxious. And I wrote a long letter um, that I'll be sending to Owen today about this actually about the depression and anxiety but a lot of people will say i'm depressed and i'm anxious and i go okay well you're living in both the past and the future that's why you're not here right now like depression is when you're comparing yourself to the past or events to the past and anxiety is when you're spiraling about future events which you have no control over and don't even know if they will come to pass mm -hmm. so to what you said about going in nature, nature is never in the past or in the future. Nature is always right in this moment, present. Right. You're hearing those birds chirping right now, not in your childhood. There's nothing to associate with your childhood. There's nothing to associate with the future. And there's so much to look at and so much to take in and so much to just calm you down. That That's brilliant. I like what you said about not trusting someone into the gym or something but saying just go go take a walk right all expectations off the table don't put a don't put a time limit on it don't put a distance on it don't put anything on it just go out and look and listen. open your eyes for once and open your ears and feel the wind on you you think about how many people go years or decades without consciously observing the wind on their skin or in their hair. 
because mm-hmm. they're so wrapped up with what's going on in their head that they're not even feeling the elements around them. They don't even take in, oh, it got warmer. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can, yep. you can go up in elevation a couple hundred feet and the temperature can drop. And most people wouldn't even realize that because they're spiraling about some work project or an argument they got in with their husband or their wife. They don't even, they don't even register what's happening to them. So, right. Dude. Well, it's so funny that you say that. Cause I went to, this was probably sometime last year. I went to, I didn't get new, uh, a new, prescription or whatever for my my contacts and my glasses and so i went to the lady and she she was like oh you know i would also recommend wearing sunglasses outside and I'm like why would you recommend sunglasses and she goes and she gave me her reasons and i go uh, and i said something along the lines of being like do you have any, do you ever just kind of trust your your instinct on that and i and i wasn't trying to be condescending i just like do you ever like maybe think about trusting your your, in, your instincts. And she's like, well, well, what do you mean? And this is like a, whatever, ophthalmologist. Is that right? Yeah, ophthalmologist. And I was like, if I'm out in the sun and my eyes are, and I'm squinting, I'm going to go back in the shade or I'm going to not be in that element because my body is telling me I've reached a limit. And she goes, oh, I, well, yeah, I guess so. And I go, and she and I was like, I do. I'm like, you, this, you realize the sun is telling you so much. And I like totally was like, now I'm like, now I'm gonna dip into a little grave. I go, you realize the sun is communicating with you, right? And she was like, what do you mean? And I go, most people wear sunscreen, right? And she's like, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it's hot. And I go, you realize that that sunscreen is removing your response in relationship of communication with the sun. If it's getting too hot you're putting more sunscreen on to stay in the heat and you're still getting burnt for most people. And you go, I do not wear sunscreen. And I like explained it because now we're just having a conversation. She's like, so do you don't wear sunscreen? I go, no. When my body starts to feel hot, I feel the heat. I will go in the shade for a little bit. I go, this is why I'm a, I'm a Caucasian from the Midwest, Polish background. And I don't get extremely sunburned when I go out of these places. I go, because I just wait. If I feel the heat, I will go into some sort of shade for a while. And then I will go back to what I'm doing. Or if it's too hot, then I will stop doing that. And it's like, she's like, I guess I never thought of it that way. And I wasn't, and it was just a great conversation because this is somebody, you know, obviously she deals with the eyes, but it is that same thing. It's like, oh, we're so used to just being like, oh, it's too much. Let me give you something that's going to you know, ignore the natural response, the, the natural communication, as you said, with the present moment. And let me add a filter to it. Let me add some sort of band-aid to it. Let me put something on top of it rather than looking at the communication of the now. That warmth, that wind, that, you know, that smell, that sound, it's giving you some feedback. It's letting this system, this body, this vessel, the soul, whatever, keep going. It's letting it know you're here, you're now, that's all you have. And I'm reading this really good book right now. And uh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head. It's like, it's called A Pocket Full of Money. It's talking about like intentions and things like that. You know, some of it I don't agree with or I'm not fully on board, but there's a lot that I do agree with. And one of the things that you said about like having the anxiety of the future, the fear of the past, it's going all of that, even the past stuff, you're still in the now. 
Because when the minute I think of something that supposedly happened to me in my past, it's happening now. I can only remember something now. That's all you have is now. And there's tons of books on this, so I'm not saying anything crazy here, but it's just knowing like it's only happening now. And, you know, to my conversation with Anchor, he was talking about he told himself, I'm going to put out a track every month in this in 2021. And he did that. But to some degree, in his mind, it was happening now. It already happened. He already saw what he was doing and it happened now. And each moment when he was doing that, it was happening now. So he was truly in many ways in that present moment with what he envisioned because that vision already was happening now. It was, he already did it. It was already completed, if that makes sense. And that's why people who are successful and know how to use this and not be stuck in the adrenaline, but use it to their advantage, you can go, I can use this adrenaline. I can use this cortisol. I can use all these things in an, an advantageous way to see my goals because in my mind, I've already completed it. It's already been there. If that makes sense. I know that's a little trippy for some people. Oh, yeah. Sir, some people might not grasp it. I do 100%. I don't believe in time. It's an illusion. It doesn't make sense. No. Anybody that has a child and then looks at them two years later and goes, weren't you born last week? You know? Like, how has yep. two years passed? We'll understand that time is an illusion. But I like what you just said as well. Um, there's so much gravy in that, that even though it happened in the past, it's still happening now. And it's like when you, you know, if you don't believe in time travel, go get hit with some nostalgic emotions and oh, you're, you're 25 years in the past, right in that moment. Right. You're, you literally like true nostalgic emotions. You're, it's not just a remembering what you felt. You're there again in here. You're still right there. And that person is now right here. Some you people know, like there's this. Yeah, real quick. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but even some people will show that in the physical. If, for example, like if somebody has a memory, if something is like a child, they've uh, even shown, and you can even see this, it might even happen to some of you, where people will literally roll up into a ball, will get small, will literally physically get small and start, whether it be weeping, whatever the emotion is that's coming, people will have, um, you know, they talk about like crying, like, you know, people have like ugly cries. A lot of those ugly cries are child, like how you, like kids cry. Yeah. So it's, it's coming out as literally, like literally you're transforming back to the physical child in many ways. Um, but as you said, in your head, you've just transported. And when you understand the power that's within this, you realize there's a projection that's occurring in this many ways is a lot of projections to some degree not all of yeah. it but yeah i'm with you 100 percent. and there yeah there's truth to that too after my car accident i went with undiagnosed ptsd for almost five years i thought that was insane when i first heard that when i finally got talked into going counseling i was like there's no way this is what war veterans have you know this is there's no way i have this even though it was a bad car accident there's no way that i have this and then I was forced to really research this and I just went, oh, you mm -hmm. can get this from anything. As long as the trauma is so bad, you can get it. Um, so it would stand to reason that an accident that severe and that terrifying would have caused this. But um, f 
dude still to this day. It's like, at this point, I'm over it, right? I, I received my EMDR treatment for six months, probably maybe 10, not 12-ish years ago. I'm trying to remember the timeline even, but it was it was a long time ago. And I cr I've crawled out of it and I'm good. I've got kids, I'm living a great life, I'm happy. I don't have that constant anxiety, but still to this day, every once in a while while I'm out driving, if I drive by that same place where the accident happened, shoulders will tense up. I'll notice that I, I'm gripping the steering wheel a little bit harder and it's completely subconscious. I don't even realize I'm doing it until I'm, it's too late and I'm like, I'm gripped up on the steering wheel. But that's how I lived for a long time was not even being able to drive without being in that same exact, um, same exact position that I was in when the accident, you know, when they, when they hit me. Um, so yeah, it's funny how the body reacts the same way. So now you've got the body reacting the same way. You've got the mind or your emotions or your heart or whatever it may be reacting in the same way, feeling the same thing. Well, it's just, and, uh, well, it just goes to show you, dude, that your physical body is just a projection of what's happening internally. It always is. Yeah. It's very, it's very rare, unless you get like a cut, that the outside is affecting the inside. Like meaning, like, oh, I'm bleeding, so now I need like my body has to respond. Like, those happen far less than the other way around, where it's like emotionally or even like we talk about disease. Like most of the stuff that we experience, we think, oh, it's an outside source. It, well. No, it's it's what's happening internally and then manifest into the outward. You know what I mean? People who are like conscious, you know, always sick, right? A lot of times, yeah, it's certain things maybe you're putting in your body, but some people could put those same things and they're fine. And it's like understanding, yes, it's is overall certain things maybe not good for you. Absolutely. But it's at the same time, it's like what's the internal state? And this does go, like you said, back to adrenaline and cortisol and all these things. And I've talked about this before. You know, you can look at it at the cookie cutter superficial level of biology and this idea of what we understand of biology, but it goes so much deeper and it really does show you that the mind has so much more. And a prime example is like, you know, you look at somebody who, you know, physically speaking now, like people can get punched, people can get kicked, people can do certain things and they're, they're good. They, you know, be like, oh, well, they're just, they've trained their bodies. They've trained, it's like, no, first and foremost, they trained the mind. They've, they've been able to work with the mind. They're not ignoring the mind. They're not trying to run from pain. They're not trying to run from trauma. They're not trying to run from any of it. Some people can face it head on. To your point about even being in the car. Now you drive by, you feel sometimes you get tense. But instead of before, it was like, I can't think of that memory. I can't think of that. I don't want to put that in there now, but it's it's showing itself because you're subconsciously it's still there. To some point, it's always being able to address it, like they say, facing the dragon, you know, and being like, okay, you're here. Let's talk. Why are you still here? What are you doing? What is your purpose here? And that's the biggest thing with chaos or trauma or things. As much as some people have some really hardships, and I can't even imagine, dude, like, but some of those people even, like, who've experienced some of the hardest of hard, you meet them and they go, I'm okay. I've learned to let go or I've learned to accept or whatever the case is. And for me, that helps me to my point I'm about to make is go, it doesn't matter how much trauma, how much chaos in our lives. 
if you have it within yourself to face it head on, grow from it, learn from it, you know, not be not looking at it as a bad thing in your life, but a part of what has made you who you are now, knowing then asking the question, who am I now? What is my intention in life? What do I love? Do I love myself? Do I love the people around me? Do I care for others? Do I have, you know, how do I ever feel from my heart? Like it, just asking those questions. And if you can do that and you say like, I'm with honesty and knowing and deep in your truth, like, hey, yes, I do. You realize that all of those moments, all of our lives has shaped us who we are now. So then the question is, do, do you like the person you are now? Are you willing to, are you willing to make changes if you don't? And then asking, well, then, you know, or going, hey, maybe that's why you aren't happy. You know, you haven't found this purpose in your life is because you haven't asked these questions. You haven't gone into, like you said, into self and done these, this work. And it is work. And that's why a lot of people, like, again, part of adrenaline chaos is like talking about relationships, going back to our earlier conversation. It's like, I'm in relationship to relationship because once all this stuff wears off, I no longer have to work with their problems. It's now having to deal with my problems that I've been trying to avoid. And, I, you know, this is the savior mentality someone like myself had for a long time is like, I would rather be there for other people, help them rather than deal with my own stuff. And then obviously, you know, and I've been in relationships before where they were long, but like you kind of go through spouts where it's like, now we're starting to get to my stuff. I don't really want to deal with my stuff because my stuff isn't as bad as yours or I, my stuff isn't as important. We need to focus on you. And I'm, I'm being very broad about it, but that's ultimately what a lot of people are in. It's going, you know, and when people then felt like they're not needed or the person that they're with doesn't need them, then it's going, well, then why are we here? And then they feel like I'm bored or this. And then, you know, and everyone has been here to some degree. You start looking at that person you had this love for and you go, I don't like the way you chew. I don't like the way you breathe. I don't like the way you look. And you start to see, like, you look at reasons to get out of it. And it's going, that's not what it is. You felt something before. And it's like, oh, it was purely sexual. It's like, okay, maybe some people it was. But it's just then going, you know, is that really what you're doing? Or is this a thing about yourself that you just haven't dealt with? Dude, yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's like, did you really love that person? Or did you like how that person looked and then you wanted them to be everything that you needed in order to heal all of your childhood trauma? And then when the reality hit that they were not what you needed because they're also highly traumatized inner child then you want to lash out because they were supposed to be your savior dude right. there there we could unpack that for hours there's so much to that as well just the interpersonal like relationship type stuff but i also want to um maybe this would be a good transition point because it is related but i also want i'll i'll preface it with this right everybody knows that that um that terminology that term you know uh hard times create strong men strong men create good, good times. times good times create weak men weak men create hard times right apply chaos to that 
and adrenaline. And it it's a perfect explanation because hard times are full of chaos and adrenaline-inducing times. That's where you see the wars happening, right? That's where you see countries conquering each other. You see all the the raping and the pillaging and the murdering and everything. And that creates what we consider strong men. And then those strong men have endured so much chaos and so much adrenaline in their lives that they go, I don't want my children to ever have to deal with that. So I'm going to create the good times to try to shield them from it. But they overcompensate and they overcreate good times. And then that creates the weak soy boy men. And then the weak soy boy men who were raised um, in a super sheltered, super cushioned, you know, silver spoon in their mouth type of way. As I was saying earlier, when you raise your kids like that, then they're going, but I need something. I need to experience life because I'm not experiencing anything. And that creates the hard times again. And it's this cyclical cycle. And it's something that we don't see in a lot of, um, I think it's like a much more Western problem than people realize. It's not, you don't see this in like indigenous tribes or hunter-gatherer tribes. And um, maybe we could kind of segue into why that is because I have a sneaking suspicion that it has something to do not only with how children are raised, but also not having those rites of passage any longer in Western society that they still to this day have um, in these cultures that we would call primitive and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, centuries behind us. But it's like on a spiritual level and just on a health level and a happiness level, they're so far beyond us. It's appalling. Oh, absolutely, dude. We can definitely dive in. But I, it's, to your point, I want to quickly say I have I tell people all the time, like, even people who aren't on the same wavelength as me, I go, all of our problems, me too, don't mean much, even though, yes, they're happening in, you know, in many ways for some, if you want to look at it in the now, if I were to put any of us, any single one of us in nature, where there is a threat nearby, I don't care what problem you have in your life, that will cease to exist the minute you realize there's a physical threat nearby i don't care how much money you think you need i don't care if you're fighting about who knows what with your partner i don't care what your problem is that does not matter in those moments and people say well i'm not there and it's going you're right but it's understanding asking the question if i'm dealing with a physical threat which not everything it's going will you still be thinking about your finances Truly, like ask yourself. Dude. And they'd probably say, well, most people will say, well, I don't know because I'm not in it. And they go, okay, well, that's fair enough. But you also don't have, you know, this idea of this glooming debt all over your head or you're not about to get foreclosed, but you've been thinking about that. That's not really happening. But yet you've put your attention to it. You've been living with that. You've been letting that control you. You're not in it. You're afraid of it, but it hasn't happened. But the more you think about it and you keep putting yourself in that, it will, it will find its way because that's what you're, you're consciously putting your intention to. Now, I'm not saying I want you to consciously put your attention to get attacked by a bear, but allow yourself to shift your conscious for one second, put that in your now and see what that is like. And this, now what you've done is, is they go, oh, well, I guess none of them have happened. 
and now I'm here. And that's the thing is, so I, I just always tell people, it's like, if you, if you have a problem, and I tell myself this too, when I see myself getting off the rails a little bit on certain things, I go, if I was in nature right now, and sometimes I am in nature when I think about it, I go, there could be a big boar somewhere nearby. And that's an actual thing. I'm not like where we are, like a boar could be nearby where would my attention be? Would it be thinking about this thing that I've been a problem with? So for me, that's been helpful and it helped me been able to like go for my like rites of passage, you know, but I'll let you go. Sorry, I just wanted to get that out there. I was trying not to laugh through that whole thing because that's something that I've said since I was probably 16 years old. And I used to say it like jokingly, you know, trying to be a little bit absurd. But I, dude, I 100% believe that. And I've been saying it's funny because you use the same exact example. When I was around like 15 year, 15, 16 years old, I used to start saying like the problem with the world is that nobody fucking fights bears anymore. Like mm. nobody is forced to fight a bear. You know, oh, yeah. like back in the day, people used to have to fight bears and wolves just for survival, you know, or they'd they'd shoot a deer and they'd have to protect their their catch their spoils because that's what's feeding their family nobody has to do anything like that anymore and again this is a perfect segue right into you know rites of passage and stuff is that's a sense of purpose and that is where we should be using our adrenaline not only for the hunt but then to protect the hunt and then you know you throw 200 pounds of venison on your back and you have to carry it 10 miles back to your home to feed your family you're gonna need a little bit of adrenaline eventually on that 10 mile hike to do that just to push through the physical exhaustion of it right so there's all these things that we used to do that we no longer do and it's like is it any wonder that now we're trying to find that same rush and you know, and there have been studies on this too. It's like if you really dig deep into just how manufactured this this reality is by <clears throat> the enemy or Satan or Shaitan or whatever you want to call it, it's there a hundred percent, and it's a complete inversion of true nature. But the funny thing is, they can't completely remove elements of it because if you completely remove an element of what makes a human a human, it doesn't matter how dumbed down with fluoride that person is they're gonna feel it so you know we for a long time have hunted right we've shot bows we've thrown sticks we've thrown rocks whatever we can do and we don't do that as a you know in western cultures really we don't do that anymore unless you're an actual hunter and you go out and do that but even that's looked down on. So what do they give us now? They give us tennis and basketball and all these things, which kind of, and dude, and it's funny because it, it appeals to that hand-eye coordination and that target acquisition and then throwing something at the target, right? So it's like a really weak version of hunting that kind of pacifies us in a way, but anymore, people aren't even playing the sports anymore. They're just watching them happen on a TV. And you, so it's like you've completely removed the human element out of it and the purpose of it, right? Because when you're doing that, when you're throwing a spear, you've got an atlatl or something and you're taking down an animal, it's to eat. It's your survival. There's a whole different element to it than if you're just playing sports. What is the purpose of the sport today? 
There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with sports at all. I love playing basketball, dude. I grew up playing basketball. But people take it. If you look at how serious people take it these days, and you're going, why do you care so much? And it's like, because you're trying to compensate for the fact that it used to be important. And that's ingrained inside of you. Like, right. that's epigenetic. You remember what it's like to go out and hunt. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, man. And I think, yeah, well, I know for a fact, a lot of people uh, are in that mindset where it's going, I don't even want to play the sport. I don't want to have that adrenaline from the sport itself. I want the adrenaline from watching the sport play out. And what's interesting is when you look at sports, a lot of people like to see like football, big hits. They like to see in hockey fights. They like to see the physical uh, altercations that occur with it. You know, like obviously even with baseball, like people like to see like, no one likes, I don't mean, I don't, no one wants to see someone get hit, but if you watch on like YouTube, people are watching biggest hits, you know, biggest MLB injuries. Like people are watching like pain. Like you can see the viewership. You know, I mean, I look when I was doing a lot of the like, GOTA stuff, you look to see, I'm looking at like more of the GOTA related stuff, but you see how many views these videos are getting. Just, and I know that majority of them aren't watching it for the reasons I'm watching it. They're looking for hardest hits, injuries in that regard. You know what I mean? So it's just like, this is people's mindset is they're so addicted to that. Like you said, that hunt, that, that physical, but they're just, it's all vicariously living through it, which is what leads me even back to my points that I've made on some podcasts about majority of people talking script and storytelling are like on the yellow brick road and the wizard of Oz. And they're staying in that first act. They haven't got on the yellow brick road to go on the journey. They're not willing to go through that, the fire. They're not willing to go through the entire arc of the story, the arc of, you know, the foot, all these arcs that we keep talking about in order to see their growth because they decide to stay in the the dwarf town or whatever it's called, Munchkin town. And so you see how it all is constantly just, you're telling the same thing in different ways and different avenues, but it's leading to the same thing. Um, and that's where you said with rite of passage, like majority of us have an, ex- I have an experience, a true rite of passage. Like I'm going to go and, uh, you know, stay in the woods and hunt and, you know, by myself as a kid and come back with, you know, with a, with a, a trophy or an award or a kill, whatever. It's like, yes, in modern times they have changed, but it's also going how, I guess the question to you maybe is what is, what would be considered like in your eyes, a rite of passage today for those who haven't gone in like gone into the woods. And that's, that's the question that I'm asking is why do we no longer have those? Because they were so important back in the day for a number of reasons. So I'll use an example, you know, like there are still to this day tribes in Africa where you are not considered a man in the community until you go out into the plains by yourself and the only thing you're given is a sharpened stick and you have to come back with the head of a male lion and if you don't do that you're not allowed back into the tribe like you leave at a certain age and you either come back with a lion head or you're gone because you're not strong enough to protect the the tribe And it's like, 
that might seem crazy to some people, but then you realize these kids grow up hunting lions. Right. Like this is what they do. They're constantly being taught by their elders. They're going out in, not by themselves, they're going out in a hunting party. So they have their brothers and their cousins and their father and their grandfather and, you know, all of these uncles, everybody is out there and they're working together in this communal sense to take down a lion or take down, you know, something that they're going to eat. So they're growing up in this culture of working together and understanding that <clears throat> they, they're, you can't do it alone. You know, mm-hmm. you have to have everybody be team players. And in that, you can't have a weak link because that is detrimental to the entire the entire tribe. So when it is time to go out and bag that lion, you're ready and you're excited. And that's what you see in these people's, these, you know, these young lads' faces. They are like, finally... I get to prove myself. No longer am I going to be that young boy. Even though I was doing the same thing, I'm going to go out and show that I can do it now. And then you right. put yourself into that, you know, that kid's head and go, can you imagine what's going on in their head? Because to us growing up in this, you know, <clears throat> foo-foo Western society, we'd be, oh my God, a lion. I'm so scared. That's, that's going to traumatize the kid. No, that's going to set that kid free. Right. You know, like that's going to give that kid so much strength because if he's successful and they all are, that's the crazy thing too, is like they go out and they come back with a lion every time. They have a sharpened stick and they come back with it. They bring it to the tribe and then they're seen as a man and they hold a celebration and they have a feast and everybody's congratulating them. And it's like their father comes in and says, you're now a man. Yeah. You know, like I raised you. You are now a man. <clears throat> and can you imagine the impact that that would have on you as a child? And just speaking from personal experience, I never got that. My right. dad left when I was 12 years old, you know, like he right. chose another woman. He chose another life. And like, he's still in my life. We still talk and everything, but I didn't get that rite of passage. I didn't get my father saying, I'm proud of you. Right. I raised you well. You're my son. Right. And you're now a man. There wasn't that definitive moment of saying you're now worthy. Right. Right. And not just for the child, but for the adult as well. That's huge for the adult. When you look at your child and you, you have to come to terms with, they'll always be your baby, but they're no longer a baby. Right. Now they're an adult, you know, so much so that they're you trust them to protect the tribe no different than you do your friend who's 20 years older than your child. Like right. they're now on the same level. Um, it's so important, important for just a number of reasons. And we don't have that anymore, man. Where do you see that happening? It's, you it's don't even, you don't even see dads giving their sons a pocket knife anymore or a BB gun. Cause they're scared of what society will think. Right. Thanks for checking out a free preview of the podcast. If you want to listen to the rest of this episode and many others like it, become a member at thepatlife.org.